call me, call me Podroik. That's what they called me over there. But, uh, it, was, it's, it was great to have um, some time in my old country. I've got a lot of roots that go back to Ireland, so it was great to have a break over there. And just very thankful for the team uh, that kept the place going. Liam and Sandy and Jess and everybody else uh, worked really hard. I was watching all the messages just to make sure. No, I actually, I didn't. I really didn't. Um, I heard uh, Sandy, oh, not Sandy, uh, sorry, you preached well too, mate, but Liam last Sunday really, uh, really kicked it out of the park, so uh, it was just great to see it all happening while I was away. I didn't get any emails. I thought my emails were broken. Uh, nobody was emailing me. There were no problems, so everyone's good. Everyone's good. The world didn't fall apart while I was gone. So that's great. But it was the break, for those who don't know, um, a, a couple of weeks, two and a half weeks of that was of conferences and uh, seminars and uh, a bit of ministry that I did as well, which was a, a real blessing to be able to do that and uh, meet some incredible people. Bear Grills, me and Bear. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he said, Pat, you've got to stop shaving if you want the anointing. You've got to stop shaving. Um, Nicky Gumble, those guys, they were great and uh, sent a special hello to our church. And, um, and then it was a bit of a break in Ireland, in the, the, the Emerald Isle. Um, but I'll tell you, if I was looking for my people, and I, which I was, because Patrick Hegarty, a name like mine, you're going to have Irish roots there somewhere. Um, the more I looked for them, the more dark and desperate they became, those roots. But um, if I was looking for, for my tribe over there, I came up a bit short. Um, I don't know whether you've heard Irishmen speak in Irish. Speak, when I say Irish, English, Irish, not, not, not Gaelic, or, uh, English in Irish. They spoke so fast, I couldn't understand a word they were saying. I, and, I, and so I didn't realise actually how sassy they are over there. They've got a bunch of attitude going on in Ireland. I can see why they've had so much trouble for so long. They're just ready to pick a fight, particularly the ladies. <laughs> I tell you what, I, put, I tried to put my best bit of Aussie charm on and put a bit of an accent on, and they just looked at me as if I was insulting them and their language, and uh, they just said, just don't, just don't do that. Don't try the accent, you're ruining it, just no. And uh, I thought, well, I wanted to integrate into my people in Ireland, but it just, it just came up really short, so that didn't work at all for me. But when I, was, when I was actually in England, this is where I found something that was quite a bit different for me, because some of the chapels, if you were keeping a track of some of the photos that I put up and the experiences that we were having, the... Um, just the incredible timeline, you know, and when I say a timeline, life's been going on all over the world for quite a while now, but, but you have a relatable timeline. So for me, it's that sort of uh, Caucasian, if I can put it that way, uh, Christian heritage going back. Uh, and to sit in the buildings there where um, William the Conqueror in the Tower of London there, uh, William the Conqueror had his own chapel and, and you saw he's a man of war, a man of violence, but to see... The, um, the stones worn away from his knees from praying and, uh, and to be in the room you know where, uh, where some of those characters there was sometimes 1500 years of Christian Christians praying in those spaces um, it really it really uh, does something to you in the sense of um, because we in Australia nothing's much older than 200 years most of our building if it's 150 we think oh ancient you know but we were in buildings that, that had gone back to Roman days and, and, and worshipping there. And, and it does something quite different to your understanding of being humbled by the giants of history, but also being humbled by the length of the timeline. Now, we've been going four years here. <laughs> in, the, in the churches over there, they don't, take any, they don't adopt any practice until it's been tested and proven for 100 years. 
you know, things happen a bit slower over there. But, but, the, but the history and the elongation, it humbles you because you realise we tend to not be um, consider the giants of the, of the Christian history too much over here. Every generation is coming forward and because there's been so few of them in Australia, we think, well, we're the generation that's going to get it right. You know, we're going to do something significant. But when you've been through an area where there's been 30, 40, 50 generations uh, and, and legends of the faith who've come and gone, uh, and it starts to change your perspective on that and, uh, and how you want to view things. Now, to be in the place where John Wesley, to, when I say in the place, on the stone where John Wesley bowed before God and surrendered his life uh, in Oxford there. When you're, when you're in that sort of a moment, uh, it, it's not like a building like this. This is the one thing I guess we lack in Australia. We're, to have the same stones there where he did that. You surrender to God too. You can't help but catch that spirit of what, what God's done through so many people for so long. Or you, you, you pop into the pub and it's okay to go to a pub over there. Everyone does. But um, where, where C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien sat together and come up with Narnia and Lord of the Rings. And to walk past the door and you think, gee, that door looks familiar. And have someone say, oh, that's, that's the door. That's Aslan on that door. And that's uh, Tunamis, I think that was his name, the, the little elfy guy in the, in the, the Narnia Chronicles. And you think, oh, they built that to honour that. No, that's where it came from. C.S. Lewis looked at that door and that's where he got the idea for, for the Narnia Chronicles. And it changes the way you see, you, you feel very close to it. You know? Or if you, you go in William the Conqueror's Chapel, you, you, you want to pray too because the spirit of, of what's been going on there. But to be in John Newton's church, that old slaver who, who got saved and, and just brought out amazing grace and to, to stand in his pulpit, um, we, they don't do it like we do, they were big stone pulpits with 15 stairs up and you launch yourself over the congregation and such. You know, but to be there where he humbly, very humbly, just broke out in song one day from his pulpit and sang Amazing Grace a song that's sung something like 10 million times a year now in the world still. It, you want to sing too. And you become challenged by that same spirit that moved then. But what, I, what was fascinating for me there, because now I'm starting to find my people. It wasn't where my genealogy came from. It's where people who surrendered to God have come from that I could relate to. And none of these people, you know, we, we, we make them icons. We objectify them. as these, But they are just people like you and I and they weren't writing their own biography. They weren't counting their success by how many souls were being saved. They were joining an old, old story. And as I sat there in John Newton's old church, the, the, the one sense from the spirit I got was very clear. Will you join this mission too? Will you surrender yourself to this mission? It's not about you, just like it wasn't about him and it still isn't about him and what they've done. They weren't counting salvations. They were, the only thing they counted were the scars and the wounds that they'd had from living as God's person in those days. And they were celebrating that, whereas we celebrate other things. But God calls us to surrender to this old, old story. And the Spirit was prompting me as, as he was prompting them and he, and he prompts you, will, you, will you serve this mission that's gone on, this old, old story? Will you surrender your life to see other people be saved? Will you give your best energy to the thing that these people gave their best energy to? And this old, old story that's before us and it's after us as well. You, you can't be in that setting without being humbled and integrated better into history. Australia, we do a lot of things. That, there's so much about Australia that's wonderful, but we do need to recognise, I think, some of the champions and the legends that have gone before us. And, but those legends are also sitting here today. The stories haven't been written yet, but they need to be 
because Australia needs to hear them. And there's, there's things that we need to be about that we haven't been about yet. So I can't wait to get on with that. But none of those people were part of, and I guess this is what struck me most about them, because we, we, we build a whole story around these icons of history. But they weren't in a world-changing church and, and surrounded by classy leaders and great music. And it was, they didn't become who they became because of the surroundings. It was something that God did in them. They didn't have, none of them had connections, they didn't have money, they didn't have a platform, they had nothing going for them. They were just single people who became owned by a decision that they made for Christ to, to follow him and give up everything for him. That's what defines their life. And it's the same mission, it's the same decision that we can make. And that's the way that God's always worked. He doesn't work particularly through movements. Movements come from someone who's moved or someone who's been moved. And he arrests us and he, and he, he arrests me and he's arrested arresting you as well. Periodically, we come to these points where he says, will you surrender to this mission? And it's just so easy and hard at the same time to say, absolutely, what else can I do but to be a part of this story that God's continuing to tell? And as I left England, we went um, around Ireland and had a great time with some friends. And in our group devotions, we ended up studying the book of, not studying, but just devotions out of uh, Judges, the book uh, talking about Gideon. And it, it incited me again because his story had parallels too. So for the next few weeks, uh, just as, as we need to unwrap some of the things that I would like to unwrap for the church, just do it through this, this grid of, of Gideon's life in Judges chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Because we see those same threads again. We see God's mission, uh, a process of remembering. We see a call, all these sorts of things. So to, to bring it into context quickly, in Judges 6, you'll, hear, you'll see the story of the Midianites. Um, the Israelites had surrendered themselves really to the cultures around them. Uh, the Midianites were another race who came in and stole their land, made life incredibly hard for them, persecuted them. Um, and so they were, they were on the back foot and not doing really well at all. And what this did in God's people was incited them to cry out. And the, the circumstances sort of conspired to make them reach out again to God because they'd gotten complacent. And it's fascinating watching this time and time again happen through history. How we have this thing like Christendom or, or Kingdom where the culture is sort of a Christian culture, but then it goes stale because they're too complacent and they get a bit loose and we go to a post-Christian era. And Australia has been in a post-Christian era now for quite some time. Fascinating to watch that because the UK was in a post-Christian era too for probably 50, 60 years. And if someone got saved over there, they'd, be, they'd write about it in the newspapers. It was so rare for someone to, who wasn't going to church to start going to church. Now they've transitioned from post-Christian to pre-Christian. So this is a, a country that was largely established under Christendom, become, no, we're, we're past that now, now to the point where there's no, there's no cultural memory of Christianity. And it opens up all this extra possibility. Things begin to change then, because people go, I don't know anyone, or I've had no experience of God, I don't understand Him, I don't have this memory of things going bad, I just wanna know, is God good? And they're walking into churches now on a Sunday morning, straight off the street, and they're saying, what is this about? Who is God? That's how far they've come now. But, but now that incites this whole other dynamic where people now are becoming Christians just like they used to in the old days because they're saying, who would be crazy enough not to buy into this thing? So this pre-Christian environment is happening and we're almost there as well because the world is communicating so fast now, trends are happening much quicker. And so I think Australia is on the cusp now of moving from post-Christian to pre-Christian once again, which means revival's on its way because that's what it ushers in. And that's what I saw in the UK of all places, good old blighty, 
you know, where there's the Church of England, it's just splendid, you know, let's just carry on, you know, and nothing changes too quickly, mind, and, uh, and yet people are getting, becoming Christians like this because the culture is now ready. They're ready to meet God. They're done with the way church used to be, but they're very interested in what God's got to say. And so the, the Israelites were going through these sorts of phases too, and they'd forgotten the practical cultural memory of God. They'd heard the stories. And so what God does is begin to usher in a bit of a process where he restores cultural memory, where he tells the story again of God and what he's doing with humanity. And so we see it in Judges uh, chapter 6 in verse 8. It starts off saying, God sent them a prophet. So in the middle of their persecution, he sends a prophet and he restores this memory. It goes on to say, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So God does a reset and goes, just remember, this is how we got to where we are right now. This is who you are and this is how we got here. But he doesn't leave it there. He gives them the longer timeline, identifies the place that they're in, but in doing that, the memory comes back and we start to say, we can do, he can do this again. God will do it again. This church started because of that one word, I'm going to do it again. Five years ago now, about this time of the year, God just spoke so gently in a place of real desolation. Desolation, is that des des desolation? I'm going to do it again. And I didn't know what that meant, but now I look out now and I know what that means. So God doesn't leave us there. He begins to work. But he, when he begins to work, he doesn't begin to work, and this is pivotal. He doesn't begin to work in a denomination or in a government or in even, even a church. He works in one person at a time. But, but not one person then waits till he, he works. He can work in you and me, all of us, but he works in us. This is the individual part of Christian life. And there's so few parts of Christianity that are individual because we make it individualistic. But when he, when he wants to change a world or a culture or a city, he does it via one person, each, but maybe all at the same time. And we'll, we'll dive into that. But he deals with the ones, the ones of us. He doesn't use a committee or, a, or anything else like that. He, he incites individuals into repentance and action. Now, I've studied revivals uh, for a long time now. I've studied revivals, I've studied church history, I've studied denominations and movements, all those sorts of things. And they all begin the same way. They begin with individuals encountering God and responding to him. So God meets someone personally and someone, it's, it's not a corporation, it's not a business, it's not a strategy, you can't strategize your way to revival. It's one person makes a radical decision and they can't back away from that, and so the rest of their life is dedicated to that. And that one person can be 1,000. It ends up often being that way, but it's, it's in the individual um, where it begins. And they begin to look up to God, and they begin to look out for the harvest. These two dynamics always happen at the same They look up, and they recognise God is who he says he is. Therefore, the harvest is white. Who can go out there? So their emphasis becomes looking up and looking out all at the same time. And as soon as that ceases... Churches, movements, Christianity begins to wane and plateau and ebb away again. And so these facets are very, it's fascinating looking at, you can have all sorts of details, you tease that out. But the dynamics of that, and I'm going to give you three today and, and, and dig, dig through them because we're going to begin to shift this way. 
We've already been, I feel, on the right track, but, but there's just a few little nuances we just need to adjust a little bit on the way. So there's three facets we want to look at. The first one is prayer, presence, and productivity. If I can, sorry about that. They all start with P, otherwise I, you can forget them. Prayer. So someone or someones personally sought God sacrificially and passionately. So what, there's all sorts of prayer, but this is sacrificial and it's passionate. Liam gave a great message on passionate prayer last week. It's absolutely right. So prayer coupled with presence, God's presence. You can't just have a man-made, highly motivated group of people who do it their way. God does something. God, you can't, there's no mistaking it. God is working in someone or in the people around them. His spirit's moving and it overflows to others. So there's prayer, there's presence, and then there's other thing called productivity, which is fruitfulness. In other words, we're reaching out. We're not just building a holy huddle here. We don't, our goal is not to have the biggest Sunday we can have. Our goal is to get fruitful. And we serve two groups of people. This church exists to serve two groups. One is you. One is not you. One is out there. Equal energy needs to be dedicated to both. And that's the shift. Just as much energy that goes into making a Sunday work really well and that we grow you, we disciple you, we do all that stuff, that same amount of energy must be dedicated to people who aren't in the room. That changes things. So if, if mission time is Tuesday night or Sunday or whatever we, I choose to do, what my part of that is, that gets as much energy as I put into Sunday. Otherwise, we lose the plot. Otherwise, we just decline into fruitlessness. Okay, let's pull this apart a bit. Let's start with prayer. There are certain dynamics of prayer that make a massive difference. And, and I had to be on site to find out what this was, to talk to the people who, who, who uh, in 2023 are seeing God do incredible things. Link that back to the history and say, okay, these things are common throughout history. They're common throughout culture and people, and they're still working today. Because there's all sorts of prayer, and I've been in all sorts of prayer meetings over the years, Dull and boring ones, quiet ones, long ones, short ones, warfare, monastic. There's all sorts of ways that we pray. But what initiates revival in me and the culture is prayer that's passionate. There's got to be passion in there. There's got to be an overflow of a heart that has a sense of hunger. I don't want to say desperation because desperation means it's, it's for something that we'll never get. But hunger for that which the Lord has promised to give us. So there's a, there's a desire in there that's fueling this prayer, real enthusiasm, real dedication. But with that, and if I heard it once, I heard it 10,000 times while I was amongst the people who are seeing this work really well overseas. It's this word called humility. This is the wineskin, if I could put it that way, that God is using. It's not brash, cavalier, ham-fisted, loud-mouthed, big promising leadership. It's humble people saying, God, it's not about me. This, the conversation is, Lord, what can you do in someone else? How can I serve that cause? How can I surrender? And let's take ego and branding and anything that looks like man out of this and just, Lord, what are you doing and how are you doing it? Because that's all we're going to be about. That's a preparedness to go anywhere, to do anything where there's no gain involved in that, where there's nothing in it for you or us. Humility, raw humility. And to see some of the brightest minds in the world come together and all be saying the same thing. People who run multi-billion dollar businesses getting up there and, and, and talking about the power of humility and servant leadership to serve the least and the lowest in their own businesses or their own communities. It's the, it's the way God is working 
now. And I think it's the way Christianity needs to be portrayed in this day where people are over big promising, big ego leadership. Humility seems to be an incredible part of it. So there's passion, there's humility. And the third facet of this prayer that we need to adopt is consecration. Consecration. Where I'm talking about surrendering, not just our life, but but consecrating, setting apart our life. Saying this life is not just plugging Christianity in on the side. It's fully consecrated. I've put it on the altar for God. My life, my money, my passion, my desires, I consecrate them for God. I say, God, these are yours. It's all I've got that's of any worth to me. I set it apart for you. This is the sort of prayer. Now that can look loud. It can look quiet. It can look long or it can look short. It's an attitude of the heart where it's, it's humble, it's real, it's passionate, and you're consecrating our life for God. So I can't pray those prayers for you. This church can't create a prayer meeting that ensures that happens. But we can create spaces where people with that heart can foster. So we're going to have a lot of meetings about how we can do that. We have chapel days on a Monday, for example. We, we may well do prayer nights. We may provide resources. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. But, but whatever happens, nothing will happen in the kingdom unless it starts and finishes on and from prayer. That's it. We can be as smart as we like. We can be as rich as we like. It's not going to make any difference unless it comes from prayer, unless God's guiding it. God's got to be involved. Second part of that coming from that is God's presence and the effective pursuit of God's presence. I'm a presence guy. I love working in the Spirit, with the Spirit. I know that there's the, the, the power of the Spirit that we seek. There's a person of the Spirit that we seek. And in as much as we can bring those two things together, we'll determine how much transformation happens in us and the world around us. We've got to work through the power and the person of God's Spirit. The fascinating thing is what I saw over there in England. And it's such a good case study for us because the culture is very similar. But there were so many reasons why it shouldn't work in a, in a secular sense. There's so many reasons why the church shouldn't be going anywhere over there. There's so much bureaucracy and politics and problems, all that sort of stuff. But, but when the Spirit was working in these, what I would have thought were conservative people, seeing how they just naturally, they don't change the subject. Every meeting, every opportunity, what's the Holy Spirit doing? It was very natural in that sense. But the, the degree to which the Spirit is, is worked with is the degree to which there's fruitfulness. But there's different layers of fruitfulness as individuals and as a church and so on. And I'm going to, uh, in Acts 3.9, we see a, a bit of a glimpse of that. Acts 3.19, it says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out and times of refreshing may come. Fascinating little scripture there, just off the cuff from, from Peter under the action of the Spirit. He says, there's, if you meet with God, you repent, you, you posture yourself before him in that way and you turn to him, you lean into him. Your sins will be forgiven and then times of refreshing will come. There's a transformation happens because wherever the Spirit is working, there is always change. There is always transformation, whether it's in an individual, in a church or a city. So let's, let's map this out a bit more because this is how it actually works and history has proven it. Let's just put up the next slide there if we can. Because in as much as we're in a place of passion, humility and consecration, okay, that's the dynamic in as much as we're able to work with the Spirit with that posture, these layers of his transformation begin to take place. Individually, it can become repentance, which brings refreshing, as Peter said. But if that keeps going, 
That's one person finds refreshing in their walk with God because they've turned to God, they've turned away from one thing, turned to something better and stronger and they find life. So a time of refreshing comes. But if enough of us have this time of refreshing and you may have seen this as I have, refreshing leads to renewal. It's a term that talks about God's people and His church where there's a corporate refreshing going on and it's defined as renewal. But if, that, if that's partnered with well and we don't get too enamoured with ourselves and what God's doing in this place. We say, we need to give this away. How, how much and how fast and how far can we give this away? How can we refresh other people's lives? Renewal turns to revival. And you see whole communities begin to impact it. So it's gone from me to a church to a whole community now. And occasionally in history, we see this point where revival overflows to a thing we would call a reformation where the whole world gets changed. All through the Spirit. But if God's people can posture themselves well with that, because we take our eyes off God and our eyes become on ourselves and labels and brands and denominations and personalities, if we can keep ourselves humble, consecrated, the whole world can be changed. In fact, that's the mandate that's upon us. So there's prayer, there's the transforming work of God's presence, and finally, productivity, fruitfulness. So I happen to be at the church where um, Alpha was born. Nikki, if you've heard of the Alpha course, we run it here. We're going to run it a lot more and in a lot, lot different ways because it's a tool. But, but Alpha was born uh, in a little church that its building is smaller than this. Um, and a couple of people got touched by the God Spirit. So there was a group that were praying through the 80s. They were praying faithfully didn't really have faith for revival or renewal. They'd never seen it before. They were just praying that God would do whatever God can do with his people in this conservative, crusty old church in, um, in uh, not Kensington, uh, Brompton, right next door to Kensington, Chelsea. And uh, it's, it's smaller than this, this church here. Since that time, someone got touched with the Holy Spirit. Through that prayer, the Spirit came, touched a couple of people. They started this little thing called Alpha. Alpha's now gone worldwide. I think 10 million plus people have done Alpha, the Alpha course and, and more uh, every year. But that little church that's smaller than this, can't fit this many people in it easily. It's now planted 140 churches from that church. That's, that's productivity. <laughs> that's a fruitful church. They're not interested in any way of growing a big church because they can't fit. But you can be fruitful wherever you are. And they just make it work. There's no room for kids. There's no room for youth. It's a stone building. It's cold as you like, you know. But they, they do the best they can and, and they just keep planting churches. So within a kilometre of them, there's, there's another six churches that they've planted within a kilometre. Within a kilometre. Like I went to church growth school. You don't do that. You grow big and then maybe you'll plant another church, but make sure it's 20 or 30 kilometres away so it doesn't impinge on your church. One church we went to, they just spent six million pounds doing up their old English church, so it was a beautiful cathedral. And then they planted another church from that. While they still had six million pounds of debt, they planted another church 300 metres away. That's like us planting one at Kenmore Village. There's nothing intelligent about that. I don't, it makes, like, and it's just going to draw all your resources away. It's going to cause a world of pain. But that's God's economy and God's mathematics is just keep growing capacity for God to do more of what God can do. Give your very best away and just let it rip. Let it run. Let God do what only God can do. Stop building an empire. Stop building big. Think about productivity. Go, go wide 
and just watch what God can do if God has his way and God builds a church. This is probably as big as we need to get. In fact, I got reprimanded. I got rebuked by someone over there, by a pastor, a bishop actually. He looked me in the eye. He said, how many come to your church on a Sunday? I said, oh, about 300 over the day. And he went, have you planted three churches yet? He said, we've only got 150 in our church. We've planted six. He said, if you're 150 people on a Sunday, so that's 50 less than what we have here today. If you have 150 people and you hadn't planted a church, you need to repent before God right now. So I want 50 hands right now. We need to lose you. Uh, I thought we needed to double this before we even thought about it. It's not God's economy. That's man's thinking. That's man's thinking. And so they use, I've gone right off my notes as I normally do, but they use Alpha as a tool to um, plant churches. But I can do that. We can do that. So if you live where I'm, we live at Moggle, Trish and I now think we might start an evangelistic group at our home, just run Alpha and just see what non-Christians can come. And that, that ends up, it's funny because God starts to work and, and suddenly you've got enough people to start a church and it's got an evangelistic DNA and they start reaching their community. What a great idea. But if we don't do that, what happens is it's already happened here. See, we've got about 500 people on our books that are regular attenders. I don't see them all here on a Sunday. Everyone who's here today, beautiful, you look great. But there's another, there's another 300 who aren't here, but call this their church. And I know that's the way culture's rolling these days, but that doesn't mean it's acceptable. That's not productive Christianity. That's sort of plugging our Christianity in with our lifestyle and saying, I can come once a month and say, this is the church I attend. But that's not productive Christianity. That's not, that's not bearing fruit. And Nicky Gumble, you know, he's an ex-barrister, but he's such a lovely guy. He just says, you know, God loves you. God really loves you. <laughs> you go, I know, it's just awesome, you know. So you can't not like the guy. But he, he looked us in the eye, the Australian delegation, and, and I, I think I gave it on one of my Facebook little videos. He said, you're, the back door to your church needs to be as big as your front door. You need a wide front door and a wide back door. And we're going, no, you, you're, you're missing the culture, Nikki. You don't understand the language. You can't have a back door to the church. That means people are going out. He goes, that's exactly what I mean. The back door's got to be as big as your front door. They come in, you grow them, then you sow them and send them out. Go, why aren't you planting churches? I thought, I don't like you anymore. You know? <laughs> You just lost me. <laughs> but it, it's, it's just, it's the kingdom. It's the way it's, the way it's supposed to be. And so uh, we need to, first of all, start praying. We need to start praying. And, and they said, don't do something like that just because it's the right thing to do. We, we need to be praying together. So we need to build a, a, a whole other level of, of foundation of prayer and have God speak and have God bear his fruit and throw away my book on church planting and church growth because it doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, a church this size planting 140 churches since 2006, I think it was, that makes absolutely no sense. For me, it's absolutely impossible. Um, but there are people here today who need to be planting churches. And like most of their church planters would think, would laugh you out of the room. The guy who planted the church at, uh, at Brighton that I went to was a barrister, another barrister. Everyone who lives in Kensington's a barrister, apparently. And they tapped him on the shoulder, said, you need to be praying. He said, I wouldn't dare pray about that. Okay, I'll pray about it. He began to pray and God spoke and he planted a church at Brighton that's subsequently 14 other churches have come from that over a period of 10 years. 
We need to rethink the way we, we, we think Christianity. What that means is every single person here is called. Every single one of us is called by God to be on mission and about doing this. Doesn't necessarily mean we go and plan a church, but we're all called. We're all called to this same old, old story. Are we, are we brave enough? There's no room in God's kingdom for spectators to say, oh, will I come to church today? And it's not about whether you come to church, it's about are you being productive in your faith? Are we seeing fruitfulness? Because I, I've made this too easy for us. The great comfortable seats and I vacuum the floor and the bands, it's just great, you can just come and have a great time. I don't want to have a stop do that, but it's just, it's too easy. It's too easy for us. We get too comfortable. Back to Gideon's story, because I need to wrap this thing up. <laughs> God calls us one of and look at how he called Gideon. In verse 12, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love his response. Pardon me, my Lord. It must have been the, the Kensington Act. Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why has all this gone wrong? See, he's got no cultural memory. He's, he's lost his encounter with God and all he's done is heard the, the stories told third or fourth hand, but he's had no experience. If, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened? Where is wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said the key statement, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? He doesn't even, you know, he doesn't answer the accusation. He doesn't, he won't engage with the dodgy logic that, and the wrong conclusions that justify why we aren't involved in the mission. Because we've all got our reasons, haven't we? I've got a busy job. I've got a young family. I can't afford it. If you only knew my situation. And God doesn't engage in the argument. He says, just go. In the strength that you have, go and save this nation. Wherever you are whatever you do and whoever you are, go in the strength that you have and get on with it. But I love the way he personalises that next step. Just do what you can. Go in that strength. Do what I say. Am I not sending you? And this is all prefaced by his idea where he calls this man Gideon, mighty warrior. And said, and I've talked about this many times, but there's a world name for you and there's, there's a God name for you. But the world had called him Gideon and the world's called you all sorts of things. He's called you engineer or salesman or CEO or doctor or teacher. He's, the world's called you that. But that is a cloak that you wear. That's a situation and a context that God's got us all in. We all have our context. We all wear that cloak. We all wear that name the world's given us. But that's just a cloak for some other name that is Mighty Warrior where he says, go in the strength that you have in the world that I put you in, whether it's a workplace or it's a school or it's your home, go in the strength that you have and go and start saving people. Go and start bearing fruit. He, he's given you access to people. He's given you friends and relationships. And we're all, sometimes we've just got to realise this cloak of life is not an excuse for us not to live the life God's got for us. It's not a reason why we can't be his mighty warrior. We're his mighty warriors first and we put a cloak over that. But that's not meant to hide the calling. And so God's calling you. He's calling all of us. And so over the next uh, little while, I probably won't change the subject too much uh, about how, we, how that looks as a church. It, it doesn't matter if we don't understand personally, just like C.S. Lewis, 
just like John Newton, just like John Wesley, just like Whitfield, just like the whole bunch of them, that they had to make a decision and they realised the inevitability of that decision to say, what else can I do but be on mission? What else can I do but surrender to this old, old story and stop giving the very best of my energy into, into this cloak? Whereas the cloak is there to, to, as a house for this mighty warrior calling that you all have, that I have. What does that look like? Let's, let's find out. It will begin by us all surrendering through prayer, consecrating our life, being passionate about that. We're all on a mission. The only question is, are you prepared to go in the strength you have and get on with it? That's easy for me to say. You don't answer to me. You've been made by God for a specific reason and a specific context. Will you surrender? Will you go on mission? Will you go on mission? Let's just pray about it. What else can we do? Just let the Holy Spirit talk to you now. Let him ask you the question. Will you be a part? Will you surrender yourself to this mission? Very simple question. And just remember that whatever God asks you to do, He gives you the strength to do. We'll always have the, in the back of our head the reasons why we can't do it or the limitations that we would put on it. Leave that in God's hands. All He wants from us is a yes. And that will start not tomorrow, it'll start, it starts right now. It starts in the people that you'll engage with between here and the front door. Don't run away. Don't go quickly. Your mission while you're here, God's got people for you to engage with, to stop, to dwell, to hear their story, to bless them and pray. It carries on to the supermarket or the cafe that you go to, to the park or the family gathering. You're on mission right there. You're God's person. So Father, we just come before you and Lord, we already, I just really sense that we need to consecrate this church to give it to you. It's your church. But sometimes we, we say it's our church. We want it our way. We want it to do our stuff. We want it to meet our needs. But Father, we want to give it back to you if we've done that and we repent. And we turn to you as the one who meets all our needs. Father, let a time of refreshing come in each of our hearts. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation and the zeal to tell others about it. Lord, I just pray for a contagiousness. That's all we need to pray for today, Father, is just that you would just send us out of here contagious with zeal and consecration for your cause. Lord, there's 200 stories leaving this place today. May they just go out and plant seeds everywhere. And just as I'm praying, I'm just sensing the, not in a negative sense, but just that holy trepidation where we, we, it's like a breathe in, <gasps> will I do it? And I think collectively we're breathing that, that breath in. And Lord, as we do that, we just celebrate you and know that you'll, you will be enough and you'll take us where we need to go. But Lord, make this your church. Send us out. Show us open doors when we're ready. 
Lord, revive us as we need to. Heal our hearts and send us out. Lord, build in us a burden for prayer and evangelism. Lord, that not one of us here would have a sense of there's nothing for me to do. Show us the people that you've called us to share with. And, and there are some people here today, just as I've been talking, you've been going, yes, I wanna be a part of that. Will you consider, will you pray starting a home group or being part of a group in this church that goes through a course like Alpha that you can invite your unsaved friends to, the curious ones, and just love them and bless them and feed them and answer questions? You don't have to be fully knowledgeable, but just, just say yes and God will do the important stuff and we'll help you as well. If, if you wanna do that, if you're brave enough to do that, just come and see us after the service or through the week. Don't let it go. If God's prompting you to do that, then let's go, let's do it. Lord, I pray, breathe a spirit of outreach amongst us. We've had a great time together for four years. But Lord, the energy that's built this church, we need to direct a lot of that energy outside this church. Will you create opportunities and relationships for us to do that in each one of us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know what else to pray. I'm, I'm still completely jet-lagged. I don't even know what time zone I'm in. But um, just as we're worshipping, I don't know, if, if you're saying yes to this, maybe when, what are we singing is the next song? Yet not I. Yet not I. It oh, doesn't matter what we're singing, does it? Um, we can sing in Irish if you like. But, uh, but if, if you've said yes, please come out the front. Come out through the worship. And I'm going to get the pastors and whatever elders are here. I just, want to, I just want to have us pray and endorse God's anointing on your life and God's blessing upon that. And if there's 200 people, then it's 200 people. But, but let's just do that. This is important. I just feel like God is moving. And, he, and, he, and He's moving through you. Not through me. Well, yes, through me, but you know. So when we're singing, come on out the front. If you've said yes to God, whatever it takes, wherever you want to send me, then we want to pray for you. And let's do that before we go. Can I invite you to stand?